Whoops. Well, it's been almost three months. One week short of three months. Last time I was here was the 19th of December. We had started our songs of Christmas, if you remember. So, should we continue those today? Why not? Why not is right. <laughs> I haven't been able to work on this until I found out that you were going to open up again. So that's a good thing. I've been reading, studying, but then the Lord just makes me wait to the end, to the last minute again, finishing up yesterday. It just works right to the end. Sometimes he'll give you the words and sometimes he won't. So there we are. I get these glasses adjusted and I, I think I'm all right. I don't like looking down. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to do something. Okay, you, I won't be able to. The, do you want the thing up a little higher? No, those glasses are just a little loose. They're new, right? And they're just, so I've got to get them just. So we're all right. Okay, so as I said, so far we've been studying the first songs of Christmas. Anybody remember where we left off? No. No? That's good. That's all right. The last time we looked at Zachariah's song, remember? And Mary's song. And this morning we'll be looking at the angel's song and Simeon's song. And we're going to be using the, the New King James Version, most of it. So we pick up our study this morning in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Almost six months since the day that Mary sang her song and then returned home to in Nazareth. In the final weeks of Mary's pregnancy, the Jews of Nazareth received word in verse 1 that Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the whole Roman Empire. And all those who lived under Rome's authority were required to register. And this decree leads to the fulfillment of the promise made by God long ago in Micah 5 verses 1 and 2 that a special ruler would be born in Bethlehem. And this occurred while Quirinius was governor of Syria in verse 2. And this meant that Joseph had to return to his ancestral home to register and marry his betrothed wife, accompany him in verses 3 to 5. And they journeyed 80 miles to Bethlehem, the birthplace of David. And at the right time, when the time had fully come, Galatians, or Galatians 4 verse 4, while in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to Jesus, and he was wrapped in cloths and placed in a manger, because there is no room in all of Bethlehem. That's verses 6 and 7. So the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God, was not born in a palace or even a house, but in a place where animals lived. And so Christmas boils down to this fact. God humbled himself for our benefit. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. In this humble gesture of a desire for peace, God came to us. So a baby boy, capital B, is born and laid in a manger. Now the only ones to notice in those first seven verses are his father and mother. The people of Bethlehem continued to sleep. And the night would have remained silent and undisturbed. But then 
as Paul Hervey would say. Remember Paul Hervey? Would say, now the rest of the story. And verses 8 to 20 tell us very clearly that something extraordinary has happened. After Jesus' birth, an angel of the Lord appeared to shepherds to inform them of this good news in verses 8 and 9. Not only did Jesus have a humble beginning, but his birth was announced first to humble and lowly shepherds. And verse 9 tells us the shepherds were greatly afraid at the appearance of this one mighty angel. They were sore afraid, as the King James puts it. They were terrified with fear, as it is in the original language. They had heard of angels appearing in time past, but 400 years had gone by since the last of the prophets, and there was no authentic record of angels being seen on earth until Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple. Now all heaven is, was illuminated, and a majestic being was actually visible to mortals. The angel even had to calm them down before he could speak to them and said to them in verse 10, Do not be afraid. Now the angel's appearance is not for judgment, but for bringing good news. Do not be afraid, the angel said, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Now it wasn't news meant just for these shepherds or for the people of Bethlehem or even just the Jewish people. It was news of great joy that was meant to be delivered to all people living in all times, in all nations, in all cultures, and in all circumstances of life. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Verse 11. The angel made it clear that this child was no ordinary child. He was born into this world for a purpose. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish or shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. The angel then went on to explain three things about this child. First, he is a savior. He is to be called Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And that's Luke 1, 31. And second, he is called Christ because God will give him the throne of his father David. And that's Luke 1, 32. And third, he will be called Lord because he is the son of God in human flesh. And that's Luke 1, 32 and 35. In other words, the eternal God who created heaven and earth, has been born on earth as a child to be your savior, and now he softly is cooing in his mother's arms. The child is the same God who appeared to the shepherd Moses in the burning bush, warning Moses not to come close because his, God's presence was too holy. And that's Exodus 3 verses 1 to 6. But now he, God, invites shepherds to come in as close as possible and see him lying in a manger as a helpless child. That's quite something. God himself. God made humankind 
in his own image. But here, God becomes what you and I are, a child of a woman, in order to make us what he is, a child of the Heavenly Father. The angel told the shepherds that this very specific child would be identified by the humble circumstances of his birth, that he would be found wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, verse 12. And after the angel pronounced the birth of a Savior, who was Christ the Lord, we are called upon to marvel at the significance of it all. Joining the angel in verse 13 was a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. With one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, they sang in verse 14, known as Gloria in Excelsis, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now the NIV gives us a little better translation here. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. The heavenly angels sang, glory to God in the highest, ascribing glory to God most high, forgiving his son to be born into humanity. And on earth peace to those on earth on whom God's favor rests. That is, those who experience God's good favor through the son he has graciously given. Now Jesus is the source of this peace. When a person has access to God through Jesus, who is the great peace offering, when that person realizes that he or she has the gift of eternal life, then that person can have peace in all aspects of life. And supposedly, <laughs> we've had a rough time this last few months, right? Nothing can disturb this peace. Not illness, not financial troubles, not even death. And through Jesus, we can indeed have, as Philippians 4 Verse 7 says, the peace of God which passes all understanding. Because this peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the very presence of God. And once the angels had left them, the shepherds then said to one another in verse 15, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Now before they did anything else, the shepherds were eager to go and see him. They even came with haste, as verse 16. And verse 17 tells us that when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. <clears throat> now that's the natural reaction to such glorious news. You have to share it, right? I know we had our children, the first thing you did call our parents our brothers and sisters and everyone because you're so happy right? some people were happy <laughs> I shouldn't anyways when Julie was born she was born and I got home three o'clock in the morning so the first thing I did I called my brother in Ontario and he had to get up the next day and he, he wasn't happy <laughs> not at that particular moment anyway well, I'm sure he was but <laughs> He was born, she was born on his birthday, so that's why I had called. 
Verse 18 says, And all who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary, verse 19, kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And when it was all over, verse 20, the shepherds returned to their flock, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now the shepherds had a rare privilege. They were allowed to hear the true significance of Jesus' birth and then to go and see for themselves the humble circumstances in which he was born and then to run out and tell the world that the Savior has been born. They took the good news about Jesus that was given to them, <coughs> excuse me, and shared it with others. This child is Christ the King. This child is the Word made flesh. This child is the Christ. This child is the Lord God Almighty who comes to forgive you, to save you, to rescue you, to deliver you, and to give you eternal life with him. And so may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And next, in verses 21 to 24, we read about three different ceremonies connected with the birth of Christ. First, the circumcision of Jesus took place when he was eight days old. And second, the purification of Mary took place when Jesus was 40 days old. Now Mary needed to be purified according to the law after giving birth. And the instructions for this ceremony are found in Leviticus 12, verses 2 to 8. That's some homework for you if you don't know what they are. We won't take the time this morning. And third, the dedication of Jesus to the Lord took place at the temple in Jerusalem, also 40 days after Jesus' birth. Now, since Jesus was born without sin, these ceremonies were not necessary for him. But Mary and Joseph were being careful to honor the Lord by showing that Jesus would be brought up in strict accordance with the Jewish law. Now, when Mary and Joseph were in Jerusalem for these ceremonies, they met an old man named Simeon, verse 25. And this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now Simeon's name means hear and obey, and that is what he did all his life. He listened to God, he heard God, and he obeyed God. And he was just and devout, and the word just means righteous. He was a true believer, he trusted and believed in the Old Testament prophecies and promises of God. And so in God's eyes, Simeon was a righteous man. He had rested his faith in the promise of the Messiah, and therefore his sins were forgiven. And the word devote means that he was God-fearing. He was one who carefully observed God's law. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, meaning he was living expectantly for the presence of the Consoler, the Great Comforter, the Messiah of Israel. Now Simeon is not only righteous and devout, but the Holy Spirit was upon him. And Simeon was also waiting 
for the promise that God had revealed to him through the Holy Spirit in verse 26, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the promised Messiah. And verse 27 tells us that Simeon came by the Spirit into the temple. That is, the Holy Spirit moved him to the exact time and place he needed to be in order to see Jesus. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing for us today. He moves us to exactly the right time and the right place where he needs us. In Psalm 37, verse 23, a person's steps are directed by the Lord, and the Lord delights in his way. But sometimes the problem is that when God redirects our steps, our lives are too busy. And so we miss the appointment. Right? We do. Sometimes we're too busy. We have to keep our ear open. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, now the word parents in this verse 27 is not a denial of the virgin birth. It simply acknowledges that in a legal sense, Joseph and Mary were the parents of Jesus. Now when Simeon saw the baby Jesus, verse 28, he took him up in his arms and praised God. And the praise then completes the joy he feels over the fulfillment of God's promise and to utter a prophecy about the future ministry of Jesus in a song, verses 29 to 32, also known as Nuke Dimitus, a Latin term which means, now dismiss your servant. Verses 29 to 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart, die in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. <clears throat> Simeon's brief song celebrates one wonderful truth. God's salvation has finally come. The whole purpose of the Incarnation is that Jesus had come to save his people from their sins. And so when Simeon held the child in his hands and said, finally, here is one who is perfectly suited to do what this world needs. He is God, he is man, he is sinless, and he is the embodiment of the very love of God. Having seen the Messiah, Simeon first addresses God as Lord in the King James Version, or as Sovereign Lord in the NIV. Now some people realize what sovereign is. They had never heard that expression before. Do you know that? Some people. So I thought of, anyways, being sovereign means that God is the ultimate source of all power, authority, and everything that exists. He is without equal. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, without limitation in any way. He is outside of time. 
He is infinite. He had no beginning and he has no end. He is ruler of everything. Now sovereignty means that God is in control. When a loved one lies in a hospital bed, God is in control. When the economy is on the slide, God is in control. And even this war in Ukraine, God is in control, even though it's hard to see. He is in control. God's sovereignty means that there isn't anything that will enter our lives that God does not either decree or allow. And nothing will ever enter our life that if we are willing to trust in Him, He cannot work out for our good. God is more powerful, more loving, and more in control than we've ever imagined. And so the more we begin to see God as He longs for us to see Him, the more our prayers will change and our faith will be transformed. And we will experience peace like we never have before. And I'm trying to get that inner peace even more so. This has been one terrible winter this winter. Worse than the other. Anyways, that's just the way it is. Satan drives you bananas. Not good. Anyway, we're okay. We do, we're giving that peace. It's there, it just needs to be brought out. Now, get back to our Simeon. Simeon here is excited. He's excited. And we should be excited too. And he exclaims with joy that he is ready to die because sovereign Lord, I have seen your salvation. Verse 30. Now Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua which means salvation. Simeon recognized that through this child, God planned to bring salvation to the world. He understood that this child was the deliverer God had promised so long ago, that God had prepared his salvation for all people, not just the Jews, and that Jesus would be a light to reveal God to all tribes and races and nations of people. Because Jesus came to reveal God to all people, we are beneficiaries of what he did. Jesus was the promised salvation for all people, which includes you and me. And those have exclamation marks after them, by the way. I put them all in there. Can't see them, but they're there. And Jesus is the glory of his people, Israel. Because through him, the nation would see the fulfillment of God's promises. They will be glorified. God will show that he has not forsaken them despite their centuries of oppression. And that is what they and all true believers within Israel longed for. Now the concept of Jesus and Israel being the light of the Gentiles, or light for the Gentiles, was first developed by the prophet Isaiah, especially in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, where God says, I will give you, that is Jesus, I will give you Jesus as a light to the Gentiles, that you, Jesus, 
should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's God speaking. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, the great commission of global evangelism, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, is carried on by his apostles. And that's mentioned in Acts 13, 47, and Acts 26, 23, and those who succeed him to the end of the age. And who those people you suppose? And verse 33 tells us that after Simeon said these things about Jesus, that Joseph and his mother marveled at those things that were spoken of him. And Simeon then speaks directly to Mary in verses 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, there's five things to be noted in this prophecy to Mary. First, by speaking directly to Mary, Simeon is foretelling of the absence of Joseph in the ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And second, Simeon tells Mary that Jesus will cause the rising and the falling of many people. So Simeon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells us there will be two groups of people. The ones who don't believe in Jesus, who will fall, be excluded from his kingdom, and those who believe in him will rise, be welcomed into the kingdom. And third, Simeon also said that Jesus was to be a sign which will be spoken against. Jesus is God's sign, but he will not be universally accepted. Even though he will come back from the dead, people will still oppose him and still speak against him. And fourth, Simeon says that the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. The purpose of Jesus' ministry will reveal where hearts really are before God. And Jesus is a judge who will expose the thoughts of all people. And fifth, Simeon said to Mary, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The Holy Spirit allows Simeon to get a glimpse of the suffering Mary will go through following the rejection of her son by the religious leaders and his execution. This helpless baby in her arms would be the suffering and dying Messiah. And Mary would suffer the pain of seeing her son rejected, beaten, and dying on a cross. And John 19 verse 25 tells us that Mary stood at the foot of the cross and watched him die a slow, torturous death. But you know, the pain she faced in that time paled in comparison to the joy she experienced later as she saw God deliver on his promises in a way she could never have imagined, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this infant is a savior for the Jews who long for him, he is a savior for those from every tribe and tongue and people who also long for him. 
And the offer still stands today. Love him, long for him, treasure him, and he will be your savior. I know I went through those things briefly because you really don't have time to delve into them, but homework. <laughs> okay, so in conclusion, soon we are about to embark on what they call a new normal, a new beginning, a new year, if you will. We've lost three months here. So we're beginning a new year. And an appropriate way to begin is to sing a new song which focuses on redemption. We sing because God has revealed himself to us. We sing in response to the marvelous things that God has done. In Psalm 40, for example, the psalmist has waited patiently for the Lord for some deliverance. God hears him and rescues him. And one of the things he does for him in the deliverance is he has put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Verse 3. Every new act of mercy from God calls forth a new song of gratitude and praise. God created us humans with the capacity to sing. And the highest use of this capacity is to give glory, honor, and praise to our Maker and our Redeemer. Jesus is worthy of our praise simply because of who he is. His worthiness is grounded in his essential being. Yet, his worthiness is not solely attributed to who he is, but also what he did. Jesus is worthy precisely because he was slain. He is praised for redemption purchased. And this was the purpose of his birth. And as Jesus said during his earthly ministry, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And that's Mark 10, 45. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, Paul reminds believers that they were bought, <coughs> excuse me, with a price. That is, at the cost of Jesus' blood. Believers are redeemed at the cost of Christ's death, and his death is the ground of redemption. And the purpose of redemption is to serve God. It is for God, not for us. And worship is an engagement with God in all of life. All we do, whatever it is, is for him to serve him. This is the purpose of redemption. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we, as we come before you this morning, we thank you indeed for these words that were spoken here this morning. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus came into this world, that you came into this world as a little babe. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus lived among us, dwelt among us, knew all the things that we go through, what we're going through with these, this pandemic and this war and 
Ukraine, that he is there with us. He is the suffering servant. He loves us with everything he has. And Father, we just thank you for his life, that you were willing, you were willing to come to this earth and to shed your precious blood on the cross of Calvary for the remission of sins, for our forgiveness of sins. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that it did not end there, but that Jesus rose from the dead and he is now at your right hand providing intercession for us and that it is through him that we can come to you boldly into your presence here this morning. Oh, Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that as we struggle through these times, that we know that you are in control, that you are the sovereign God, that there's nothing happens in this world that you're not in control of. And we just pray all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.